CES Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my I'm a citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. All right, welcome back to the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. I'm your host, Tony Levitt, joined again by... 24-7 sports college basketball writer Kevin Flaherty. Kevin, you've had a lot of pieces come out this week. You sleeping? Uh, not uh, not that much, actually. You know, it, it's kind of a fun time and that there isn't obviously a whole lot of sports going on just yet. Uh, but it, it's that time of the summer where we start, you know, taking a deeper look at, into college basketball and, and looking at which teams are, are really going to be the best, which ones came out of – the NBA draft deadlines, you know, ahead of others and, and which ones have, have been really strong on the graduate transfer market. And so this week has been a little bit of our, you know, reboot, if you will, where we look at, at each of the power conferences or, or the major conferences in terms of basketball and, and kind of look at, okay, here, here are the way things are starting to break down in those conferences. You know, it's it's one of my favorite parts about being a crazy sports fan is like, you know, the, the sports calendar is very important. And these moments when the diehards start thinking about their sport, when everybody else is still has have their mind on somewhere else, you know, it, it's it's the middle of June right now. So normal fans would probably be thinking about NBA draft or MLB right now. And obviously this year is different, but it's still funny to me to imagine, you know, those of us who are, you know, really into college basketball thinking about basketball already four or five months <laughs> ahead of the season. But I love, I love this, uh, this format and it's nice, you know, on the football side, they're kind of a little ahead of our basketball schedule. And so they were doing order of finish and that's not what this is, right? Can, can you explain kind of the difference between a, a prediction piece and, and what you've got going on here? Sure. Yeah. We, we more wanted to, to just sort of lay out the, the foundation, if you will. Okay. Here are the recruits coming in. Uh, here are the transfers coming in. Here are the guys going out. At this point, you know, normally we'd uh, we'd have NBA decisions already taken care of, but we went ahead and pointed out in each conference, you know, these are the big NBA decisions still remaining at this point. And then we did give sort of a, a top five teams in, in the league. We didn't go all the way through. Uh, each of the conferences, and we named a, a sleeper team, which was just a team outside of that top five that that could compete to be in that top five, if not outright win the league. And so, even even with regard to you know one through five in these different conferences, there are still you know moving pieces. There there are still you know some recruits who are going to be reclassifying it and. NBA decisions and things that could throw this into flux, but we just kind of wanted to give a, a general look, say, hey, if you're a diehard college basketball fan and you're wondering what's the ACC going to look like this year, then hopefully you can uh, you can pop open that article and and feel like, okay, I've got a general knowledge of the way things are going or the way the league looks right now as it is in June. 
Cool. So before we get into the story, and Kevin, I haven't I haven't even asked permission for this, but I, I it, with your if it's cool with you, I'd like to over the next few episodes kind of get you on to run through each of these preview series. Today we've got the ACC, uh, but before we get to that big preview, and that's going to be the bulk of today's episode. Kevin, there were some you know interesting uh, little newsy tidbits uh, that I thought we could run down. Like you said, for for the diehard college basketball fan, these are probably going to be interesting. So let's start. Uh, a number of them are in the ACC, and that's kind of the focus of today. But I figured let's get the non-ACC stuff out of the way. Uh, what's your take? OJ Mayo reinstated back in the USC family. You know, it, it's nice to see this stuff happen now because I, I think that uh, – I think that when you look at OJ Mayo, when you look at Reggie Bush, and, and when you look at the way that that certain programs either have disassociated from certain players or have been forced to disassociate from certain players, that's just ridiculous, right? Because all of us remember the time when they were there. You know, the fact that the NCAA said, hey, Reggie Bush, you can't be around USC for a while, doesn't make any of us forget his run against Fresno State or or any of the highlights from his career. And so it's great to see O.J. Mayo back there. You know, it, it's he's a guy that, that I think, you know, for, for people who maybe don't remember him, was just a, a super mega recruit, you know, when he chose USC and and had kind of this rivalry with, with Michael Beasley, who wound up going to Kansas State, you know, in terms of, of players and everything. And I always thought O.J. Mayo was a lot of fun to watch. And so it was it was kind of a pleasing thing to me. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, Orange juice mayonnaise, as he's uh, fondly referred to in my house. Uh, you know, he, he I think he he was standing up against a lot considering his name was Orange Juice Mayonnaise. And and he, he, he put up huge numbers as a freshman. Like how many freshmen do you see come in onto teams that aren't full of talent? You know, it's he's not going to Carolina or Duke. He went to USC and that's a football school. And he put up, what was it, like 26 and five, something crazy like that. And then he was gone. And he, he just had a very interesting style. So I certainly enjoyed watching him. And uh, you know, I, I'm a big proponent of just keeping people in the fold, you know, keeping keeping in touch with people. And the same thing applies to these schools. So definitely nice to see OJ Mayo uh, kind of brought back into the USC family. Uh, next, Booth Gotch transfers to Minnesota. Another of college basketball's best names moves to the Big Ten. Yeah, it's uh, it's not right, you know, for uh, for these uh and I, I'm glad you nailed the uh, pronunciation on that because I, I'm not sure that uh, that I would have uh, would have gotten that. But yeah, it goes from practice. Uh, it goes from from Utah to uh, to Minnesota. It, it's always great when you get uh, when you get these names out there uh, and, and you get reminded of some of these names. You know, sometimes guys you know obviously leaky black being at north carolina you're always going to happy to birthday leaky that. black earlier black. this week yeah yeah shout out leaky black but uh but no it's uh it, it's nice to see him transfer and i think too you know you look at, at minnesota and and some of the pieces that they're bringing in there i i think that that's a program that the big 10 is so loaded that you might not see it this year but I, I do feel like there's some interesting talent, you know, sort of on display there that if Marcus Carr does come back for this year, if they do have um, some of those guys stick around for, for more than a year after that, you know, it, it's a program that, that could surprise a little bit the Big Ten. Yeah, I, I think 
Richard Patino is developing a very interesting, um, how do I say, uh, like the way he coaches uh, and the kinds of guys he coaches and the talent he coaches and the way he cultivates them. I think he's developing a nice reputation out there in Minnesota, kind of under the radar, which is interesting, especially considering his last name. And it's nice to see him have talent to work with uh, over the past couple of years. So Booth got transfer probably is going to end up having to sit out a year, but nonetheless, an interesting story. Let's turn to the ACC, uh, a couple interesting stories and then a big one. Uh, starting with Georgia Tech's coaching staff, and then it kind of moved across the country. Coaches uh, encourage the NCAA to kind of make uh, election day uh, a day off from mandatory activities to encourage athletes to vote. Kind of started in the ACC. Uh, a nice little thing there, uh, considering uh, a pretty seismic political moment in the country right now. Yeah, it's a it's a fantastic deal. I'll, I'll be interested to see how much steam this actually picks up, in part because... You know, I, I know last year election day um, fell on uh, Champions Classic, if I remember right, which obviously was was kind of the the season opener, and you know the college basketball's you know tip off point where they basically say, hey, here are four of our best programs. You know, college basketball is back. Enjoy. Um, and, and I do think that it's something that. It's always important, Tony. Let's let's not say that it isn't, but it's especially important now because it feels like a lot of people who felt like their voice wasn't being heard before they're starting to find their voices, and, and you know, they're and the best way to reflect what's in your heart and what's in your voice uh, is with that ballot. And so, giving these these young kids, and obviously, you know, everybody's seen you know the voting numbers and, and the fact that that younger people are not, you know, super likely to vote in the first place, getting this to a point where it's a discussion point and where you, you get them and build this sort of quote unquote tradition of voting, where it's something that they feel like does have value. Uh, I think it is just huge. When you consider the age of these guys, especially the freshmen who might be voting for their first time, I remember, you know, I, I was born in an odd year. So not uh, my 18th birthday did not come out in a, a federal election year. Uh, and, and it felt kind of anticlimactic. And this year being an election year, I think it's an opportunity to kind of galvanize people. Uh, and, and, you know, that that feels a lot bigger than voting uh, for your local ed board uh, than, you know, voting uh, for the president of the United States. And I think it's an opportunity to kind of galvanize a whole generation of athletes who in all likelihood will have an inordinate uh, amount of sway over regular people in the populace and, and to get them voting as early as possible only uh, will bear fruit over the years uh, for the athletics community, the, the sporting community, and, and quite frankly, the, the United States community at large. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think there's any doubt. I think you hit the nail right on the head. And, and the, the interesting thing to me would be whether it becomes more than just a college basketball thing, more than a college football thing, uh, becomes an outright, you know, student thing. You know, let's let's cancel classes. Let's encourage people to get out there and and use their ability to vote. And, and I think that when when you do those things like that, those are the types of things that are potentially going to lead to higher voter rates down down the road and in whichever way you want to vote you know having the ability to go into 
you know, that place and, and get on the computer, I guess now it's, you know, it's less of an actual ballot, but get on that computer and, and you know, make your opinion heard. I, I think that there's, there's just so much value in that. Absolutely. And staying in the realm uh, of social consciousness, uh, ACC, John Rothstein, I saw tweeted out last week, ACC was considering adding uh, a full slate of games on Martin Luther King Day uh, against historically black colleges. Very interesting. I think kind of, you know, more a symbolic uh, move than anything else. Nonetheless, an interesting move. What's your take? I love it. I I love that it would you know, bring attention to it. I, I love too, Tani, that a lot of times those are by games. And, and so, you know, either you are going to, you know, a historically black college and, and you're going to, you know, potentially increase the attendance there, increase the exposure of that college, um, or they're going to come to your place and they're going to get a pretty big check that's really going to help out their athletic department and the things that they're able to do. I think the other element of this that's really interesting, Tony, is there have been some recruits over the last couple classes who have started to seriously consider playing at historically black colleges. And when you look at something like this where they can look at it and say, okay, I can, I can go to this place and potentially play against a North Carolina or a Duke or or somebody like that. You know, you would have to think that that would be a selling point in in their favor and and a great one at that. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, to your point about the exposure, uh, this is obviously a story that national networks would latch on to. Can you imagine, you know, half these games I imagine would be at ACC arenas, half of them would be at the historically black colleges. And can you imagine, you know, ESPN makes a huge deal out of the NBA games that they cover on Martin Luther King Day. And you have to assume they'd roll out the same package. And to see ESPN trucks, six cameras, televising a game from a historically black college's gym, I think it's a huge opportunity, exposure, that kind of thing. So whether they're going on the road and and getting money for their athletics program, or they're staying at home and getting their exposure, being on national television on Martin Luther King Day, I think there's there's a lot to gain, even if, you know, this this still is not a huge step in terms of like promoting the actual causes that uh, all these uh, coaches and athletes are are agitating for. Nonetheless, I think it is a very cool and, and, and unique opportunity. Can you imagine just imagine a special version of ESPN College Game Day from Howard as they're getting ready to host Duke? I mean, and just what that would, you know, just what that would be able to do. I mean, and, you know, you could, you could fill that, that whole segment with, with stories of great, you know, black athletes of, you know, of civil rights people, you could do so many different things with it and it would be, you know, potentially the event of the year. It would be incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and it would fall in kind of a, almost, I don't want to say a boring, but, a, you know, a bit of a lull in the basketball schedule. It's not sure. the end of conference play. It's not the beginning of conference play. It's just kind of the middle of conference play. You know, when I, I took a year between high school and college and studied at a religious school. Uh, and and everyone talked about how it was like the middle of the winter, everyone gets the blues. And like, that's the exact moment in the college basketball schedule. So having <laughs> something like this to, like I said before, galvanize uh, people and bring more attention to college basketball will be fun. 
last story and then we'll hit the break and, and move over to uh, your ACC uh, summer view. Uh, Zion's lawsuit uh, has, you know, gone in a number of directions over the past, you know, week and a half, two weeks or so. And it seems now that Zion will not have to testify in front of court. And, you know, I messaged uh, some of our Duke writers the other day and asked, you know, just like, what's the vibe? And they were like, I don't think anyone's nervous. And, and here we are just a couple of days later. It looks like Zion's not going to have to testify. I kind of feel like this is about to boil over. Yeah, I think so too. And the the funny thing about it is just that uh, you you look at the way that, that Zion was, was investigated, you know, with an internal investigation from, from Duke, you know, and basically said, no, he's, he's okay. And, and the, the funny thing about that is I don't think a lot of people realize this, that investigation is part of Kansas's case against the NCAA for, for that level one violation, because they said, wait a minute, you, you let Duke do this investigation. They said Zion was clean. So how are you going to come at us, you know, saying we were trying to play him or pay him when, he didn't get paid according to Duke. And so it's this whole like circular thing that, that is just really funny to, to kind of think about, but no, at, at this point, it looks like he's not going to have to testify. And I think that was kind of the hail Mary that, uh, that they were really throwing out was we're going to try and get this guy on the stand where if he took benefits, he couldn't perjure himself. Maybe they had some sort of, you know, smoking gun or, or smoking starters pistol even you know where they felt like hey we could potentially catch him you know in a lie about this or that but it, it doesn't even look like it's going to get to that point right now yeah I, I have to say I'm a bit relieved um before before they said that Zion was not gonna have to testify I was texting with you and I was like I, th- I think I'm gonna have to find a lawyer to come on the show <laughs> to explain the ins and outs like I I, I don't know like who am I, I'm gonna do and I was like looking around to see who I could bring onto the show to kind of talk with the experience uh, about this issue and then thankfully kind of uh, moved in a direction where I felt like you and I could just uh, touch on it real quick <laughs> and move on it definitely it definitely worked out for me because uh you and I I both don't like to speak on things that you know we don't know about and so uh, not having to do that uh, is is a real relief so uh, Kevin unless you got anything else let's let's uh, hit the break now on the backside we'll talk about your ACC summer preview sounds great Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. All right, welcome back to the 24-7 Sports College Basketball Show. For a lot of you have been coming to the show from the website, and that's awesome. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast because, it, you know, we got a lot going on here at 24-7 Sports, and I can't guarantee that I'm going to embed when you want the article. But one thing is for sure, I put up the, these episodes, and they go straight to your phone if you're subscribed. So whether you listen to podcasts on Apple, on Spotify, Google Play, I'm sorry, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, 
tune in wherever it is. We're there. Subscribe there. And if you happen to like what you're hearing and want to help out the show to make it possible for us to expand and cover more things, cover things better, five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts really makes a difference. We've got Kevin Flaherty on the line. We're talking ACC summer big picture. And Kevin, I think it makes sense to start with recruiting because two of the top three recruiting classes in the country are North Carolina and Duke leading the way at the ACC. Yeah, and they're the the top two classes in, in terms of numbers of, of five-star players landed. Uh, North Carolina landed three 24-7 sports composite uh, five-star players. Duke landed four. Uh, Duke wound up one spot, I think, below Carolina, if I remember right, Yes. in, in the recruiting class rankings. Uh, North Carolina, number two. Duke, number three. I believe in the 24-7 sports rankings themselves, and of course, the the twenty four seven sports composite is industry generated. Uh, but in our own rankings, I believe Duke is actually ahead of Carolina. So that's how close those classes are. Which was just my point is, you know, you've got Carolina with three five stars, Duke with four, North Carolina with the number two class, Duke with the number three class. So the cases of the rich getting richer. Absolutely, and I think you know each of these schools have in this recruiting class. A couple guys are probably going to be one and done. I'm thinking of Caleb Love, thinking of maybe Jalen Johnson, but there are also guys with real pedigree who might even stay a couple of years. So it's not like this is going to be uh, a, a and you know this this recruiting class is going to be a unique moment. I think they're going to be bearing fruit, you know, over the next two three years. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And it, you look at the Carolina class in, in particular at, at the top, you've got Caleb Love, who's who's going to kind of plug in, you know, seamlessly for, for Cole Anthony at that point guard spot. But then you think about the two guys that North Carolina returns, you know, they had one of the best power forward center returning groups in, in the ACC when, when you look at Garrison Brooks and Armando Bacotta, and then you, you, uh, you go ahead and look at the next two guys after Caleb Love in the recruiting class. They're both big guys, you know, Daron Sharp and Walker Kessler. And, and mm-hmm. so when you, when you look at those guys, obviously that that's a four deep at the, at the four and five spots. And so somebody out of that group uh, and, and probably the freshmen, they, they aren't necessarily going to be one and done guys. They're going to be guys that are going to have to be, you know, sort of forced into 15 minutes a game or, or whatever else. And, and while they're talented and, and while North Carolina's depth is going to be so terrific at those spots, you would assume that they would come back. A guy that's really interesting for me, Tani, in, in this North Carolina class is RJ Davis because he is an undersized point guard, really kind of an undersized scoring point guard. Um, and, and so with him being, you know, five eleven, you know, somewhere around in that range, I think there's going to be a lot of temptation. We all heard Roy Williams's complaints over the past year about how they didn't play with the tempo that he likes to play with. He wants North Carolina to get up and, and run. And I think with R.J. Davis and, and when you look at Caleb Love as well, those two might play together some in an attempt to really sort of reinforce that tempo for, for North Carolina moving forward. And so he's a really interesting guy. And then the other one that I'm sure that, that you will love, joining Leaky Black in, uh, in North Carolina's group of wings is Puff Johnson. So Roy Williams keeping, uh, keeping up the name trend. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you know, when you have so many big men, I think there's a tendency to slow the ball down, kind of pound it. And having that breadth of guard options, I think, will uh, kind of keep North Carolina balanced in that way. I imagine Roy Williams might be looking to the way last year Kansas balanced, having two pretty serious uh, centers in the way they, they worked their rotation. Bill Self worked his rotation. I think that was, you know, it was an interesting uh, uh, use use case for uh, having two serious contributors at the five. Uh, North Carolina and Duke, both with their returning talent and incoming talent, have a lot to work with. There's a serious drop-off from numbers one and two to number three at Virginia, and uh, I think we're going to come back to Virginia, so I want to skip over them, but at four and five, North Carolina State and, and Pittsburgh at 23 and 24 in, in the composite have, you know, Pretty solid classes uh, and surprising considering the lack of success, I'd say, we saw with those programs last year. Yeah, especially with Pittsburgh, right? I mean, Pittsburgh finished, you know, at the bottom of the uh, of the ACC. And while uh, and while North Carolina was technically down there as well, I think all of us viewed that as a uh, as a blip. But, you know, Mac Brown said something that I thought was really interesting when I covered him at Texas. He said that in terms of recruiting, he said, you want to be either two things. You want to be really, really good because all the kids want to come because you're really, really good. Or you want to be really, really bad because kids can can look at your team and sort of see a route to, to playing time and see a chance to have a, a major role there. And, I, you know, when you look at when you look at Pittsburgh, you know, obviously Jeff Capel was, was somebody who recruited incredibly well when he was a head coach at Oklahoma. He was an ace recruiter at Duke. And so it's not a surprise to see him recruiting well, but to go out and be able to get, you know, they, they've landed some pretty good guard talent over the past few years. And that's the strength of the team to go out and get a, a four-star center who's a top hundred kid and John Hughley, you know, that's, that's a potential stepping forward spot for them. When you look at this program, you know, not just this year, but, but over the next couple of years, you know, Kevin Keats, you know, it feels like NC state's just got guards upon guards upon guards, you know, every year. And, and they went out and did the same thing. When you look at, at Cam Hayes and, and Shaquille Moore, both of whom were, were four-star point guard prospects. I think both of them can play together. Uh, Kevin Keats did an unbelievable job um, at, uh, at UNC Wilmington uh, of really, you know, getting the most out of his guard talent. And, and I think that you're starting to see that, that pay off on the recruiting trail as well. Yeah, I mean, Pittsburgh with Jeff Capel, you know, this, this is why they brought him in. Uh, after after getting rid of Jamie Dixon, a tough time with the Stallings era. You know, the one thing Jeff Cape we knew, everyone knew Jeff Capel was going to do is recruit. Uh, and you know, at least from the Pittsburgh perspective, I almost feel like this is this is just baseline. Like this is what was like expected. Now, you know, what's he going to do over there? And in terms of North Carolina State, you know, and, and any school that has to compete locally with Duke and UNC is, is kind of up a creek to begin with. This. Uh, five-man recruiting class from North Carolina State certainly uh, will, you know, have uh, hopes high down there. One last thing before we move on from recruiting, uh, we haven't mentioned the school that brought in your top incoming recruit, Scotty Barnes at Florida State. And Florida State over the years has always been bringing in serious athletes, but Scotty Barnes is a whole lot more than that, Kevin. 
Scotty Barnes is a terrific prospect, which if he, if he had a jump shot, he might've been the number one player in the class. I mean, he, he, he's a six foot eight guy with length. He's a multi-positional defender. He rebounds, he scores, he just doesn't shoot. Um, and, and so there are all these different things, you know, he's somebody that it wouldn't be surprising. And when you talk to, to people down in Tallahassee, you know, it wouldn't be surprising to see him get a little bit of run, even as a point forward type guy uh, for Leonard Hamilton this year. You you look at you look at him. You look at Sadar Calhoun, the the top junior college transfer that they brought in, who should be an immediate impact guy. And if you were to draw up Tani, a, a perfect recruit for Leonard Hamilton, he would be tall, long and athletic and he would probably be able to handle the ball well for for whatever his position was and that's Scotty Barnes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, when I think of a Florida State Leonard Hamilton recruit, I just assume that they all look physically like Jonathan Isaac and adjust <laughs> and I, I adjust my expectations as I learn more about these prospects. Like I I don't I don't know if that's unfair, but like that that is definitely what I assume when when Florida State uh, recruits anybody. <laughs> it, it's it's pretty accurate, and, and you look at you know the multi positional defense and everything. I mean, Florida State, you know, one of the sites that that you and I love looking at, you know, as sort of college basketball degenerates, I would say even more than diehards, is BartTorvik.com, and they project the the stats for for every player. Um, it, the, the, for the top 10 players on, on each roster, Florida State's top 10 players, Tony, for, for this year, they don't have a single one who's shorter than six foot four. They've got two six foot four guys, so everybody else is six foot five or taller. And I think seven of the top 10 are six foot six or taller. So when you're looking at the, the projected top guys, it's almost a, a running joke at this point because he's going to go out and get guys that have just, you know, height and wingspan for days that are, that are versatile athletes. And, and you know, that it's not always going to look the best on offense necessarily, but you know, you look at, uh, you look at what they've been defensively, especially when they've been able to lock in in recent years, and it's been something truly impressive. And and it's a great counter to you know sort of what the trend of Villanova was was starting in terms of having you know this, these five out lineups, four out lineups, where everybody can shoot the ball. If you counter that with everybody is long and can challenge every shot you take, you know, you're, you're maybe going to find some success. And so it's, it's interesting the way that Hamilton has really gone about that. Even though Leonard Hamilton and Florida state are losing two serious prospects to the NBA draft, Gary Parrish, who is already ranking teams, at least the top 26 has them in the low teens. I'm sorry, the high teens, uh, number fourth ranked ACC team, you know, just, I think at this point, uh, Leonard Hamilton is one of these guys who we just trust. He's going to get as much as possible out of his guys. But the real surprise, at least uh, you know, among those uh, four teams that are ranked from the ACC in GP's top twenty-five and one, is you know at number one we have Virginia, and they're his number three team in the country. And I, I think you and I are going to differ. Uh, on what we think about Virginia. You have Sam Hauser's the top newcomer, and I think that's definitely fair. A big-time wing player, used to play at Marquette, had to sit out last year. 
Virginia has the third recruiting third best recruiting class in the ACC with uh, Jabri Abdurrahim, who is the 36th in the composite, along with guards Reese Beekman and Carson McCorkle. I know they're bringing in a lot, but I still wonder about that offense, Kevin. Like, do you really think these, you know, three, four additions are going to change what was like a bottom 150 or I mean, like around 150 to 200 ranked offense last year is going to bring them to the point where, you know, it's good enough to match their elite, elite defense. Yeah, I think so. And, and the, the the key point, you know, for me was what you just mentioned, elite, elite defense, just in that, you know, Virginia has had what a, a top seven defense on Kempom in the last seven years, I think. So, you know, the defense is going to be there. And even as the personnel shifts here or there, uh, you, you can feel reliant on that. The offense doesn't have to be among the nation's best, but I feel like this year's team takes a step forward to look a lot more like what Virginia looked like in, in 2018 and, and 2019. And when you look at those teams, I think it would surprise a lot of people. 2018, they had the 30th best offense in, in terms of adjusted offensive efficiency on Kempom. 2019, they were actually second in the nation in adjusted offensive efficiency. And the big thing that they were able to do, and, and one of the reasons they took off that year was, you know, they moved Jack Salt, you know, out of the starting lineup and, and kind of moved him to the bench. They started playing, you know, running more, you know, ball screen continuity spread stuff as opposed to um, the famous blocker mover system that Virginia always runs. And, and they were able to, to basically play four out because DeAndre Hunter was the four and he was a 40-some percent three-point shooter. And so when, when you looked at, at that formula, you know, that was that was why they were able to be so effective was they were able to put so much shooting on the court. They shot, you know, 39.5% from three that year as a team. And fast forward to, to this year's team, and I realize this is, you know, making a really long answer even longer, but, you know, Thomas Woldetensai started off last year in just a horrific slump, and he broke out of it. He was still a little streaky at the end of the year, but he shot 38% from three in, uh, in ACC play. Um, Hauser is going to play the four for Virginia uh, with, with the way that their lineup works out. And he has is a 40-some percent three-point shooter for his entire career, you know, multiple seasons at Marquette. And so you've got the, the shooting pedigree there. Jay Huff, you know, who's, who's one of the most, you know, fascinating guys and I realize I use that word a lot but in in basketball just because he's a seven foot one guy who blocks shots who you know rebounds pretty well um, has some interior game you know in terms of scoring in the paint he's a better athlete than you think and get this he shot 36 percent from three himself as a seven foot one guy then you add in, in Kihei Clark you know, who shot came along quite a bit last year was like a 38% three-point shooter. You add in, you know, Jabri Abdurrahim, one of the guys that you're talking about it in terms of these recruits who who's basically a, a walking bucket. I think Casey Morsell, you know, had a little bit of a rough year last year, but I see a rebound in there in his sophomore year. And, and then you look at Reese Beekman, you know, as a guy that, that has some – 
Ty Jerome-like qualities in that he can do everything. You know, he almost put up a triple-double um, average for his senior year of high school. And, and so he can do a lot of different things. He's not as tall as Jerome is, but I think you could see him and Kihei Clark playing next to each other to get a little bit more ball handling in there. And then McCorkle's coming off a foot injury, but he's a big-time shooter as well. You know, I just feel like there's a lot more shooting on this year's roster, and I, I feel like there are, you know, there are a lot more positions where they're getting shooting from it. And so I do see a, a significant leap in, in Virginia's offense. I'll be honest with you, you know, the consensus sort of top three, it feels like, in the nation this year is Gonzaga, uh, Villanova, and Baylor in some order. I know Parrish had Virginia at three. I have Virginia at two. Uh, just because I, I'm that much of a believer in the fact that I think the offense is going to come along. Well, like you said, I mean, I'm definitely less skeptical now, having heard what you just said. I think there, there are a lot of places that Virginia can look to get offense. But at the end of the day, uh, Virginia's offense will come down to efficiency. Can sure. can they can they make the shots that they get? Because you know, I mean, last year they were 353rd in the nation in pace. You know, you look at uh, Hauser's numbers when he put up 15 points a game in his last year at Marquette. Well, Marquette was 100th in the country uh, in pace that year. So 250 spots ahead of where Virginia was last year. So, you know, they're, they're not going to have so many shots in any given game. And that's by design. But, you know, it all comes down to that efficiency and having those shooters and those scorers on the court like you just laid out, I think is exactly what Virginia would need uh, to make it because all they need is to be top 100 in offense and that defense would carry them. Anything anything above that is gravy. I, I, don't, I don't think uh, you would disagree with that. And so oh, no. having having those, those options uh, on the court certainly uh, makes me you know, open to the possibility that Virginia can have a pretty serious offense. But I just, I get anxious when you don't get that many shots up uh, sure. in a game. So before we kind of wrap up here, we kind of uh, didn't really give so much attention to the bottom two thirds of the league. And I do want to um, look towards your all-conference team. you got David Johnson from Louisville, Jose Alvarado from Georgia Tech, and Amir Sims from Clemson, uh, guys from three teams we didn't mention. Uh, and, and I want to start here with Clemson because little John Arena was low-key a really hard place to go into and get a win last year. What was it, like three uh, wins against ranked opponents for Clemson last year? Uh, and Amir Sims coming back to Clemson. Uh, they have, like you said in the article, NCAA tournament aspirations. Uh, this is a dangerous team with really cool uniforms i might add yeah awesome uniforms and and, and a pretty good talent in, in amir sims and, and you you look at, at you know john newman and alamir dawes and, and you know nick honor and, and clyde trap and, and some of the guys that they have in that mix you know i, I think the the clemson legitimately can go into this season feeling like hey you know if, if things come together the way they should you know, we're, we're going to be right there in terms of making the NCAA tournament. But yeah, last year was so wild. You know, you're talking about, you know, Clemson 16 and 15 and you say, well, you know, not, not such a great year, but you, you stack up the wins and, and all of a sudden, you know, the win over Duke, the, the win over Louisville by 15, you know, and, and then the win over Florida state when Florida state was just, you know, hot as, as, you know, as grits. I mean, it, it was, it was unbelievable to, 
to see Clemson pull off those games. But I think one of the things that, that we saw in there was that Clemson had some different guys, you know, capable of stepping up in, in different games. You know, the one that, that really stands out to me was, you know, Sims dropping the, the 25, I think, 9 and 5 against Duke. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, if you're looking for a guy to take off, I always try to look at a guy's upper end performances from the previous year. You know, not necessarily what's his average, but what's he capable of, you know, if if things go right for him. And, and Sims, you know, had good averages and, and things like that. But when you look at that Duke game, you know, that's a potential superstar there in Amir Sims and, and potentially, like you were saying, one of the uh, one of the best players in the conference. All right. You got you got Louisville at five in the conference. So, so let's turn over to David Johnson. He's a guy who missed a, a good chunk of last year, um, but had very interesting, you know, per 40 minute averages. You expect them to be a serious part of what Louisville does this year. Sure. Yeah. I think that, I think that David Johnson and Samuel Williamson, you know, those two sophomores are, are really going to be part of what, what, you know, stirs the drink for Louisville this year. I think Williamson is probably going to lead Louisville in scoring, but I think that Johnson's going to be their best all-around player. And when you look at a player with Johnson's size and all the different things that he can do, how he can create for other players, you were talking about the per 40-minute averages. How many guys, you know, built like Johnson or with Johnson's size average seven assists per 40 minutes? And, and so, you know, he, he's got sort of that jumbo creator thing to him that that's, that's sort of all the rage in the NBA now and, you know, is a big part of the reason Kate Cunningham was our number one guy in the class was he's a, a six-foot-six point guard, basically. And so when you when you look at all of that, you look at some of the returning pieces, and Louisville added some some really interesting transfer guys like Carly Jones. And and so when you, when you put all of that together, I don't see a huge drop-off for Louisville. You know, I have Florida State – ahead of them at four Carolina ahead of Florida state. Although that's one that I go back and forth in my head, probably every other day. And then Duke, you know, ahead of those other ones. But I I think Louisville has a chance to be right there. Mm -hmm. So everybody needs to go check out your article on 24, seven sports.com. There's a full all ACC team. There are big NBA decisions, uh, top incoming recruit, top transfer sleeper team that we didn't even get to. But Kevin, let's end with this. At the top of this article and at the top of a couple of the other conference previews that we'll get to on later episodes, you kind of wondered out loud, you know, what is the strongest conference in the country, which is a fun question every year. And so I want to turn it in a slightly different direction. How many teams do you think the ACC uh, is likely to get into the NCAA tournament in the 2021 tournament? Oh gosh, that's tough to tell because the ACC has maybe more wild cards than, than a lot of other leagues. Like that's Syracuse, why you have to answer the question. Uh, not I know. Me. <laughs> I know. Sy- Syracuse, it, it feels like lives on the bubble, right? Like they've put up residence there and, you know, they're, they're probably going to get in and then they're probably going to knock off a team or two because they aren't used to, to facing Syracuse's, you know, unique system in the zone and everything. Um, so, so I think the top five we mentioned, you know, Miami is a really interesting sleeper team to me. When you look at that backcourt with Chris Likes uh, and Cameron McGusty, uh, you look at uh, Nazir Brooks, who they added from Cincinnati. The biggest problem with Miami last year was they didn't 
protect the rim and they didn't rebound well at all. And so you bring in Nizier Brooks from Cincinnati where that's what he does. You know, if you're expecting Brooks to score 20 points a game, that's not who he is. He's going to challenge everything around the rim. He's going to, you know, get up and and compete on the glass and and things like that. Miami is a really interesting team that could even get into that top five. So that that's seven right there. And, and I would venture to say, you know, Clemson and maybe even a wild card. So eight or nine would be would be my guess at this point. Don't be surprised, and I know this is coming out of left field in terms of the teams that we've talked to. Don't be surprised if Georgia Tech gets into that mix. I think a lot of people who don't watch the ACC don't didn't realize that Georgia Tech was above five hundred in the ACC last year. And I know that the ACC wasn't quite what it has been, but at the same time. You know, to to go eleven and nine, and then also return the guys that uh, that, that Georgia Tech does with with Alvarado and some of those other guys. I, I think Georgia Tech has a has a chance to maybe surprise a little bit this year too. Absolutely. I th- I, honestly, I think Georgia Tech is like one of those teams that people sleep on in, in in all sports. I think it's good for college sports when Georgia Tech, Atlanta's team, is kind of in the mix. So that that would be really fun. And I think that, like you said, eight or nine teams, I imagine that this upcoming season is going to be one where the bubble is heavily leaning towards uh, the power conferences who were able to withstand maybe uh, the coronavirus stuff, maybe better than uh, a mid-major is set up to. But that that that's... Uh, very interesting preview. We're going to have to get you back on for some other conference previews as the weeks go on. And I want to give a special shout out before we head out here to Banana Slug Pab. Yeah, Banana Slug Pab, who is on Twitter, hitting up the 24-7 Sports CBB pod account, which you can all tweet at if you want to uh, give a content suggestion as Banana Slug Pab did. He said that when we talked about incoming impact freshmen, uh, we did a disservice by leaving out Abdurrahim, uh, who's coming to Virginia, and he and he wanted to make sure uh, that we got that on. I promised then that we had some Virginia content, and, and lo and behold, we got a, a big old section on Virginia today. So like I said, it's... In previous weeks, if you want to uh, let us know that there's something you want us to talk about, hit us up on Twitter at 24/7 Sports CBB Pod or at Hate It or Love It. That's my private or my personal account. Or if you really feel excited, hit us up with a five star rating and review on Apple Podcasts and put that content suggestion in there. Whew, that's a mouthful, Kevin. I appreciate you sitting through all that, and thanks so much for coming on, sharing some ACC thoughts with us. Thanks a lot, Tony. All right, we'll see you guys next hey. week. This has been oh 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 yeah, oh, what sorry. you got? Sorry, I was I was just gonna say, should we do a quick section on Duke? Because I don't think we talked about Duke like at all. I got it. Here we here we go, Kevin. Let let me tell you uh, what this is gonna be, guys. Uh, Kevin's an expert, but I'm gonna take this one. Duke is gonna be really good. They've got a ton of really <laughs> good players. Coach K is super good at coaching, uh, and Cameron Indoor is wild. They're gonna be a top five, top ten team in the country the whole year, and they're gonna challenge for the Final Four. Did I miss anything? No, no, I just the, uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of uh, kind of funny because this is this is an interesting Duke team. Just having a couple top thirty guys returning, you know, as sophomores, and then they're going to be relying so much on those freshmen. One of whom is Jalen Johnson, who's who's another favorite of mine, another do it all guy. And so I do think that uh, 
that Duke is looking like another, you know, top five, top 10 team. So I think you hit it, you know, sort of right on, hit the nail right on the head. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, if you want a little more in-depth tidbit about Duke, I think for their matchups against North Carolina, it'll be interesting because Duke is a little short in the front court. They've only got two guys, I think, taller than six, nine. And obviously North Carolina has got that deep, deep front court rotation. So that'll be an interesting thing. We've actually done a couple episodes about Duke, uh, coming up for next year. You can look back at the episode we did after the 24-7 Sports uh, released the Class of 2020 rankings release. Adam from the Duke site came on. We talked about Duke there. And after Patrick Tape had his interesting transfer saga, he's an incoming uh, center coming over from uh, Columbia. He's going to be uh, probably their starting center. Uh, we talked about Duke upcoming uh, Duke's upcoming season there too. So uh, if you really want more in-depth Duke stuff, we've got episodes for you. It's a bit in the back catalog, but I appreciate you uh, holding me accountable there, Kevin. <laughs> I, I, I do think it would probably have been irresponsible to do a whole ACC episode without talking about the biggest ACC brand. Oh, no, no. It's uh, it, it was just one of those things. I, I was looking at the recruiting classes and I was like, man, we we really broke down Carolina and Virginia and just kind of skipped right over over Duke there, and you know we've got uh, we've got Duke second in the conference in, in this article behind Virginia. Um, if uh, if you think I'm just crazy uh, crazy wrong for that, I, I don't uh, I don't blame you, but I I do think that this has a chance to be a special Virginia team. Yeah, check it out on 247sports.com. This article is titled "Summer Look: ACC Looks Strong Again at the Top." Kevin, thanks for writing the piece, and thanks even more for coming on the show. Uh, we'll probably talk to you again sometime next week. Thanks a lot, Tony. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.